Oregon's longest tenured congressman has a critical seat at the table in Washington as the Biden administration pushes for a massive transportation package. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, Congressman Peter DeFazio talks about the latest twists and turns in the years-long effort to pass a major transportation package. The Springfield Democrat chairs the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure. We talked about his own $547 billion bill that's expected to go before the full House for a vote later this month, what he makes of the ongoing talks in the Senate, what the various bills may mean for Oregon's Interstate Bridge and Rose Quarter Freeway projects, and much more. Here's our conversation. Congressman DeFazio, thanks for coming on the show today. Sure, appreciate the opportunity. So ever since you took the gavel as chair of the House Transportation Infrastructure Committee, you've talked about the prospects of a transformative transportation package. I know that thought animated you for decades before that, but I'm wondering how you are feeling about those chances today. Well, we passed a a very robust transformative bill out of my committee last week, despite uh, Republican uh, obstruction. Uh, we were uh, we were in session from uh, ten in the morning till six in the morning. Uh, they offered two uh, hundred and something amendments uh, to try and kill off EV charging, uh, to do other things. They drug in, defund the police, everything else. But we got through the bill. The bill is uh, five hundred forty-seven billion dollars. Uh, that's about a fifty percent increase over current spending. It's a five hundred percent increase in rail for uh, for Amtrak and for high-speed rail. It's a uh, 140% increase in transit uh, to give people um, you know, more options with transit, get into what we call mm-hmm. transit deserts uh, to help people get out of their cars, increase the frequency of transit uh, so it's more convenient for people uh, and bring transit up to a state of good repair. It has a $100 billion backlog right now. Uh, and then uh, the surface title uh, for roads, bridges, highways. We have 47,000 bridges on the national system that need repair replacement. We are going to uh, electrify the national highway network and defossilize uh, transportation, largest single contributor to uh, carbon pollution uh, and climate change in the United States, uh, despite uh, the Republicans uh, claiming there is no climate change. And that's an unnecessary Green New Deal thing that they didn't want in the bill. We also are going to rebuild it resilient to uh, severe uh, weather events, uh, to sea level rise. Uh, in the West, we're going to rebuild it uh, to, resi- you know, to be resilient to earthquakes. You know, we are also uh, looking at um, a, a new program, which is for uh, social equity. Uh, you know, areas like we're having a discussion uh, in Oregon about the Rose Quarter and how you can rejoin that community and not further impact it with more uh, freeway miles, and there will be a major new federal initiative uh, to to rectify uh, issues like that uh, that would happened all around the country. It, it would very intentionally, a lot of the interstates went through uh, poor right. neighborhoods, neighborhoods of color, uh, and and destroyed neighborhoods. Uh, and so uh, we're going to have a new program to begin uh, to deal with that. And then there will be uh, a component for uh, worker training uh, to. Uh, reach out uh, to communities that have been left behind, people have been left behind, and get them into uh, good-paying jobs related to either transportation construction or in transportation itself. 
President Biden has, you know, talked about his American jobs plan and, and President Trump also talked about infrastructure week, the, the joke that recurred for, you know, almost four years of is this infrastructure week? But how do you view in your mind is the, is the invest in America act your, your bill, the $547 billion plan? Is that? sufficient in your mind to be the transportation package or are you hoping that there's going to be something larger that would be in conjunction um obviously anything will be in conjunction with the with the Biden administration but something that goes beyond that well people get confused this my bill is not the american jobs plan it is a reauthorization right. and a revamping of uh, the the uh, service transportation act uh, to make states look at alternatives other than paving over the whole country, uh, among other things. So I have to get a reauthorization done by the 1st of October, and I have to create these novel programs uh, by uh, getting reauthorization negotiated with the Senate. Um, the funding, uh, you know, in, in what's called reconciliation, the dead guy rule, mm-hmm. the rule written by a senator has been dead for 11 years, 28 years ago. Um, it will not allow us uh, to create programs like that in reconciliation. Uh, you know, the president has essentially a, a two-part plan here. One is we do uh, we do uh, service transportation, uh, and we do it to deal with climate change, uh, make major investments. Uh, we do uh, water, wastewater, uh, maybe broadband through regular order, because Republicans seem to uh, be uh, willing to discuss uh, broadband. Uh, but then uh, other titles uh, will have to come uh, through perhaps the reconciliation process. That would be uh, reinforcing the national grid, uh, you know, building uh, you know, renewable power. It doesn't do a lot of good uh, if you're charging an, an EV off of a coal plant. Uh, so we need right. a lot more renewable electricity. Uh, and there's a very ambitious uh, proposal from the administration, which is in a different committee than mine, Energy and Commerce. Uh, and so, I mean, this, this, my, this is just a part of, uh, the American jobs plan. I'm wondering how you view bipartisanship during these times and as a, you know, as a component of transportation and infrastructure. Is it imperative in your view to have Republican support on this plan, whether it's your plan or, uh, something that goes beyond that, beyond the surface transportation plan we're talking about? Well, um, you know, bipartisanship is a rare commodity uh, in this town these days. Uh, I did get two Republicans on my committee uh, to vote for the bill. Uh, that passes for wildly bipartisan these days. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the issue is uh, the Senate with its total dysfunction, its stupid rules, the filibuster, and the fact that there's only 50 Democrats. Uh, so at some point, uh, you know, either they're going to have to uh, use reconciliation, uh, get rid of the stupid filibuster, uh, or something else to do the major whole plan, the American Jobs Plan. I'm hoping to be able to get the the programs that are in surface transportation done through the Senate. Uh, they're going to pass out a bill they say sometime uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, mm-hmm. so I can negotiate with them on surface transportation. The problem is there's this jerk from Pennsylvania named Toomey. Uh, who hates transit, and they're trying to do a bipartisan bill. So at this point, they're saying, well, they're probably going to just do uh, rail, roads, bridges, and highways. I said, how can you do a surface transportation without transit? So um, it's, it's, you know, it's a very uh, unclear path in dealing with the so-called United States Senate. Well, let's stay with the Senate. I mean, we're talking on a, a Thursday morning, Congressman, and um, now the 
bipartisan group of, of senators, I, I guess you can say, has grown to 20, who um, they don't have a lot of details on paper, but they said that they are um, willing to, to work together on something. I mean, is that encouraging to you or do you need to see more there? What do you make of, of those uh, developments? I don't know any details uh, in talking with the president's council last weekend. Uh, he was optimistic uh, that they could get uh, enough Republicans. He was optimistic that they would agree to um, a lot of the conditions mm -hmm. that are in my bill, uh, you know, to uh, move away from fossil fuels uh, and, and the other major provisions of my bill. Um, so uh, we'll see. Uh, I'm hopeful, uh, you know, that could uh, bode well for actually uh, moving a surface reauthorization. And then that's one less thing that uh, we won't have to try and get it through reconciliation, which would be virtually impossible. Well, let's go back to your bill a little bit. Uh, what does the $4 billion in there, Congressman, for electric vehicle infrastructure, what what does that get us um, like in practical terms? That's for the National Highway Network. Um, and uh, there will be a much larger title on uh, on EV charging in the energy and commerce bill. Uh, I can't remember. I, I think they're in the vicinity of 40 billion. I don't know, but this is just for a backbone for the national highway network. Okay. So I guess, um, in practical terms, I mean, I know we're, we're still thinking whatever these two separate pieces of legislation, if they move forward, but I mean, what should you be able to do if you're going from your district, uh, going from your place down in, in Springfield up to Portland or elsewhere? I mean, what, what kind of amenities should be available in, in your view for, for you, if you have an EV? Huh. Well, let's just for, let's just deal with Eugene to Portland uh, first in, in a general sense. If we could get Amtrak there, the Amtrak has trains that can run 120 miles an hour. It's about a three hour ride, very undependable from Eugene because of the freight railroads. Uh, they're supposed to give preference to Amtrak. They don't. They've sued. They've, uh, uh, they're now running trains that are too long to fit in sidings. So you get stuck behind one of these trains. Uh, you're out of luck. Uh, my bill will enforce that law. Uh, so the freight railroads are very upset with my bill because we're going to give Amtrak preference. And then I'll never get on I-5 again. I won't worry about having an EV. If I can get, if I, I don't have to go 120, if they could just average uh, 60 miles an hour to Portland with Amtrak, uh, I would be thrilled because uh, I-5 is so undependable uh, with the uh, with the volumes and crashes and everything else that happens. But if you are driving, driving an EV, uh, what you need is, uh, you know, you have to do away with range anxiety. Uh, you know, I have a friend who frequently goes to Portland from North Bend and there's like only one place on the coast uh, where she can charge. Uh, you know, we've, we've got to deal with that in a very meaningful way if, uh, if people are going to adopt, uh, electric vehicles. And we're not just talking about cars. Uh, I held a hearing on the business case for electrification because I thought, well, maybe I can get the Republicans to agree to electrification mm -hmm. if I don't use the word climate change. So I said, okay, there's a business case for electrification. Um, and I said, GM's going all electric in 35. I had Fred Smith, very conservative Republican, uh, who runs FedEx testify. They're going all electric uh, by the 30s, including semis. And I drove a, an electric semi uh, built by Volvo in, uh, in, uh, Coburg, uh, just a, a few weeks ago. Beautiful, beautiful truck. That's their short range version. Only goes 170 miles on a charge. They're, I've already built one that'll go 500 miles on a charge. Uh, so, but there is no, 
uh, high-speed charging infrastructure for uh, semis, let alone for individual vehicles if you don't own a Tesla. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's not going to come in short order, right? I mean, the money can be there, but we're still talking years before that infrastructure is going to be in place. Well, um, you know, I'm going to say, I mean, uh, during the election, I, I was on a call with the electrical workers and they said, hey, what's with you in the Green New Deal? We don't like that. And I said, um, well, I, you know, I think climate change is a, a big issue. And here's what I'm doing in my bill to deal with it. And I started talking to them about the charging infrastructure we'd have to build, the grid reinforcement we'd have to do. They said, wow, that's great. That's a lot of jobs. We're going to need more apprentices. So, um, you know, we can we can sell this uh, plan uh, to the American people, I believe, very broadly. You mentioned earlier the restorative justice piece, uh, Congressman. I mean, I, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on on the Rose Quarter Freeway project overall. I mean, it's it's um, you know it, it seems to be both slow moving and fast moving, and, and there's there's it's a lot of um, controversy about whether this is um, you know truly the, the level of investment we need in the metro area to spend you know half a billion dollars on a, on a freeway. Um, where do you sit on that? I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't live in Portland. I'm focused on trying to do the Columbia river crossing in, uh, creating a bridge program. And when they bill, I, I do not have any detailed knowledge of the Rose quarter. And, uh, that's the subject of the legislature and the, uh, and the state transportation commission. You don't view those as being um, connected, the the Columbia River crossing, the I-5 bridge replacement, whatever you want to call it, and the Rose Quarter? I mean, because lawmakers have connected those two historically. Look, uh, again, you know, I don't live in Portland. I'm not an expert on Portland uh, in terms of what needs to be done, except I know those bridges have to be replaced because if there's a major Mm -hmm. earthquake, they're going down. Uh, So my major involvement is there. Otherwise, I defer to uh, you know, the legislature and the state transportation commission, you know, they get funds from me. There's a new, there will be a new social uh, justice title in this bill. And I would expect whatever they do in the Rose Quarter to be compliant with the new conditions I want to put on states. Um, which are what, I guess. Um, Can you the, expand on that? They have to look at, uh, it's, it's a pr- pretty complicated, but they, they have to, uh, do community consultation. Uh, they have to go through a, you know, a very thorough planning process. They have to show that there's no other alternative to building more lane miles, uh, you know, and, and they have to be fully engaged with the community. And then there's a possibility of expending funds to like cover over, uh, the freeway there and rejoin the community. I, you know, I don't know what the solution is. I, that's, you know, I'm not an engineer. Switching gears a little bit to the, to the interstate bridge project. Do you have a vision in your mind of what that should look like? I mean, does it need to include transit? And if so, uh, does it have to be light rail? I think it would be uh, very stupid to build that bridge uh, without light rail uh, or rebuild the bridge. Uh, you know, we, at a number of years ago, I got the Obama administration to approve $750 million for light rail on the then proposed uh, bridge. It was the first time uh, the uh, Federal Transit Administration had ever allowed like a mixed use uh, project that is a highway bridge, but with uh, uh, with a co- big cost share uh, by light rail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just talking to Governor Inslee yesterday and I said, you know, I don't know what's these, what these people in Washington State. Uh, and what's, I know what's with the Republicans. The reason they want bus rapid transit is because they can just cut funding for buses and then there's no more bus rapid transit. 
but if we install rails, uh, it's a fixed asset. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be way more efficient. It'll have way more throughput. Uh, obviously, it's, you know, electrified, so it has no carbon footprint. Uh, you know, it's way superior to uh, this push to have, you know, oh, well, we'll build it so you could build it later. No, I said, I told the governor, I said, um, uh, Governor Inslee, I said, you know, I, I, there won't be a lot of federal money going into a, a bus rapid transit, unlike what we can get for light rail. So, um, you know, hopefully this can get worked out. I've talked to our governor. I've talked to him. I've talked to the head of the, the state DOT. I mean, they have a plan. They're working along. I told them it's got to be viable. Uh, and it's, you, you've got to have a, a time frame of less than eight years for the Biden administration to approve it. I'm writing the bridge title, uh, and the president said he wants to rebuild the 10 most economically significant bridges in America. Uh, we're as, uh, we're scored at like 11, uh, but I'm writing the criteria and my criteria are going to say, no, they have to prioritize bridges that join two states, uh, bridges that are at risk of, uh, catastrophic failure and other things mm-hmm. which will point the administration right at uh, our Columbia River bridges i've already got it designated as a you know a critical corridor in previous legislation i mean back back when the the crc ultimately unraveled it wasn't just the light rail piece though right congressman i mean uh tolls were a controversial issue for people on the on the washington side and you know there is an element that is more vocal i think now on the on maybe both sides of the river that said wait a minute do we do we really need to be widening um this bridge to accommodate auxiliary lanes or merging lanes whatever you want to call it i mean to have this massive thing of, of concrete um I, I i'm wondering what your thoughts are in terms of throughput on the bridge do you think that it should be comparable to what it is now or should it be bigger? Um, and also the, the congestion pricing piece, have you, is that something that you just take as, as light rail that has to be part of the equation to make this happen financially? Well, light rail is going to take a tremendous burden off of, uh, you know, passenger car traffic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know uh, how to exactly size uh, the new bridge. Uh, I, last time I started raising concerns, uh, about the price tag very early on, uh, you know, and I would show them pictures of this beautiful, beautiful bridge that I took the committee to back when I chaired the subcommittee, uh, in 08 or 09, uh, the bridge at Milan, France, uh, at some places it's a thousand feet off the ground. It's self-monitoring. It's an absolutely spectacularly beautiful bridge Uh, they regulate traffic uh, according to what the wind speed is and you know Mm -hmm. etc and it's a modern it's modern obviously modern design and it and it's it's a bridge that's actually got installed technology Uh, and i would assume that we're going to be looking at at something like that Uh, again i you know i don't know there's ongoing discussions i've i've told them i think they should also look at a lift bridge option Uh, because last time one of the big stoppers was they were going to have to pay to relocate uh, a major manufacturer to the other side of the bridge because they uh, designed it in such a way that uh, their assembled units wouldn't fit under the bridge. Right. Uh, so, you know, again, I'm encouraging people to think in an innovative way, but I, you know, I'm not an engineer. I don't do the design. I'm working on getting them the money. 
but do you envision con- congestion pricing is going to be necessary? I mean, obviously, there's the federal piece, but I, I'm, I mean, obviously, congestion pricing is something that was discussed or tolls, whatever you want to call it, um, back in the CRC days. Well, there's is a that- difference between tolling and congestion pricing. I mean, uh, congestion pricing is time of day traffic variable. Right. Um, you know, here in D.C., uh, they've got a road here where you can uh, sometimes the variable fee goes up to $40 to go 10 miles. That's not affordable for people. Um, so, you know, I am uh, somewhat of a skeptic when it comes to congestion pricing. People say what they just want to drive people out of their cars. And I, and I say, well, cause they're talking about, uh, you know, something over there on 205. Hmm. And I said, so someone who lives on the east side of Portland, cause it's less expensive way out there and they have to get over to Intel in the morning. They can't set their time of day when they go to work. Uh, so you're going to tell them that, you know, oh, it's going to cost you 25 bucks to drive uh, on on a, a section of road. So, uh, you know, congestion pricing is something that has to has to have a real consideration of equity issues uh, and uh, and other things. But I mean, a, a straight up toll is a whole different thing. It would be a fixed fee for, uh, you know, cars. It would be a fixed fee for uh, trucks and maybe varying by weight or axles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole different, uh, whole different issue. And, and most of the discussions around CRC, uh, do involve some tolling. But at one point they said, well, we want to toll the bridge 205 bridge too. And I'm like, no. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a bit more with Congressman Peter DeFazio. Okay, Congressman, I'm curious, how have your views on our transportation system changed at all or, uh, you know, have been adjusted since the pandemic? You know, I know a lot of people kind of lived different existences and traveled in different patterns. I'm wondering how your views have changed uh, in terms of how you use the system. Uh, Well, you know, like we're doing now, I mean, I conducted a lot of business uh, by uh, by Zoom. Uh, You know, there's questions of, you know, will, uh, you know, some businesses are saying "Mm, we're going to continue with remote work. Uh, You know, others are saying, well, we're going to give people more flexible schedules. Even the federal government's looking at that to work Mm -hmm. part time. Uh, We've found it's a very viable option for certain professions and certain jobs. Uh, it certainly doesn't work for people in the service industry or construction industry or a whole host of other jobs. Uh, they're the ones who have to, who have to commute for sure. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think that maybe we have seen some permanent changes for a while. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, a disaster driving around uh, DC. Uh, but, you know, like I'm going to the airport in a bit. Uh, it's uh, five miles. Uh, I allow at least an hour and a half because sometimes it's so backed up. That's how long it takes to get there. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we've, we've got to deal with these issues and, and providing viable alternatives for people, uh, in terms of transit, uh, you know, uh, and, and rail, uh, if they have to commute, uh, is going to be a key part of it. And one of the key things in the bill is increasing frequency. Right now, transit agencies are pushed by the federal government, uh, to do the lowest cost thing. Uh, and we're saying, no, we want these routes to be more frequent adjusting to the time of day when people uh, move uh, and have to move with work. And we're going to reward that as opposed to penalizing them for doing that, which is what the current law does. 
Earlier in our conversation, you discussed, you know, the Eugene to Portland um, train option is not being very desirable. I mean, for for years now, there's been kind of the what feels like a pie in the sky <laughs> vision of of the Eugene to Portland to Seattle to, to Vancouver, BC, light or excuse me, high speed rail mm-hmm. line. I mean, is that going to happen in, you know, I'm 38 years old. Is that going to happen in my lifetime? (laughs) Uh, I think it could. Uh, Actually, I mean, Oregon has been way behind the eight ball on this. Uh, I authorized back in 1994, the first five high speed rail routes in the United States of America. I'm on the authorizing committee and uh, nobody wanted them back then. So I designated Eugene to Vancouver, B.C., uh, you know, Washington State has improved uh, their track quite a bit mm-hmm. and their service and 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 times. Um, you know, Oregon hasn't. You know, I don't even I don't know yet if they've even chosen a route. Uh, they've been cogitating on it now for 17 years. Uh, so um, you know, that's and there's there is going to be a, a high speed rail title in this bill. But I tell you, I could just do with higher speed rail. I mean, if if we could you know, use the existing train sets. I mean, high-speed rail is technically defined as a train that goes consistently over 150 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. The Talgos we have can go 112. Uh, You know, just imagine if you could get from Eugene to Seattle moving at 112 miles an hour, I think a lot of people would get off the freeway. I sure would. Uh, And or, you know, the hassle of uh, taking a commuter flight. Uh, and plus, you know, uh, we're a long way away from having planes that are carbon free. So, uh, you know, the more we can move people, uh, you know, with like an electrified uh, train, uh, the better we're going to deal with climate crisis. Do you get a sense of what Republicans, what they want when it comes to transportation? You mentioned this marathon hearing um, that seemed like it was all over the place about your specific bill. But like, when you're having conversations that aren't in public, there's no grandstanding. What do, what do people want? Well, my Republicans tell me they'll support resilience uh, in rebuilding uh, the system. And I said, well, but why is the sea level rising? Why do we have unusual, severe uh, climate events? I mean, couldn't we deal with the root cause at the same time? And they're like, the word climate change could never pass their lips because Donald Trump wouldn't like it. Uh, you know, Trump had seven fake infrastructure weeks and the only uh, concrete proposal to make a bad pun that came out of his administration mm-hmm. was actually to have the federal government abandon, uh, uh, you know, investment in transportation and stick it to the 50 states. You know, I've got a poster uh, that I carried around for years because the, the, the were for a while. It's very, very hot with the Republicans. We're going to devolve it. It's going to be devolution. We're going to have the states do this. So I got a poster. The poster is a picture of the uh, brand new uh, highway in Kansas, a brand new uh, highway, 1956. It's an aerial shot. And you look that, wow, incredible, beautiful, brand new highway. And then you look here and there's a bunch of lines that go like this. And you go, what's that? Oh, that's the Oklahoma state line. And that's Amos Schweitzer's farm field. Uh, and so Kansas built theirs and Oklahoma said, geez, we got budget problems. We can't build it. And it didn't get built and it had a wooden barrier at the end uh, until the Eisenhower plan uh, when we were joining America uh, with highways. Uh, so I say to these guys, you, you can't, you know, this, you're not going to devolve this down to the states. This is a federal transportation system. We need to partner with the states. Oregon has done a lot. I think we've raised our gas tax three times. We've raised yeah. uh, uh, registration fees, uh, you know, uh, document fees. 
uh, all sorts of things. And, you know, we've done a lot of self-help, but the federal government has not been a good partner to us. Yeah. And that brings up the, the, how do we pay for all this stuff? Right. I mean, what's, what's your vision for paying for, uh, all these transportation improvements? You know, the president proposed a rescinding, uh, or well, not rescinding, but raising the corporate rate, um, which produced a lot of money. Uh, I proposed a transaction tax for years, which could, which has two benefits. We raise a lot of money, uh, and we drive out the useless, uh, speculators like who do the, uh, ultra high speed trading. Uh, you know, they, they add no value to the market. Uh, all they do is front run the market to make, uh, you know, make, uh, pennies on, on, uh, a zillion trades, uh, in an hour and they create volatility. Uh, it would help put those people out of business and it would raise a lot of money. We had a transaction tax in this country from 1916 to 1966. We built the greatest economy on earth while we had a transaction tax. They tell me now, Oh, if you have a transaction tax, um, you know, it's just the whole economy is going to dry up. I said, no, you know, actually, I was on this uh, this guy, Stuart Varney. I was on his show once. He's some kind of commentator on Fox or something. And uh, and he was really carrying on about my transaction tax. I knew he was going to do that. I mean, that's what the interview was about. And he's just like, and I said, hold on, Stuart, hold on. You know, actually, I, I'm going to show you something because, you know, I've, I've thought about this because because you're making a point that this is going to destroy capitalism. And I, I said, so. Uh, here, I'll hold it up. And I held up an article. And it was like quoting some famous banker on Wall Street. There were a whole bunch of articles. And those articles were from 1934, when Congress doubled the transaction tax to rebuild the real economy. And the stock market didn't do anything but go up from there. Hmm. So there are some good options out there that are not regressive. Uh, but it's not, it's not my committee. It's ways and means. You can get Earl on and interview him about it. Earl, proposed, uh, you know, indexing the gas tax, uh, as I have, uh, yeah. he, he's proposed raising it and abolishing it, uh, you know, and moving to VMT in the future. Um, you know, I, I, I don't get to do that part of the bill. I do the policy. Well, you mentioned, uh, mentioned Congressman Blumenauer. I mean, I, I I'm wondering just collectively, uh, Congressman, it, it seems like this is a point in time where Oregon has maybe the most powerful, politicians at the table in in a very long time in seats of power in, in your position and and Earl's position and and uh senators uh Wyden and Merkley holding powerful positions in in their chamber um I mean do do you think about that in in terms of um you know this is an era where really Oregon's uh interests are probably at the st- represented in the in the halls of power at a level that we haven't seen in a long time and if so like what can you do about that in terms of helping oregonians well uh i'd say we are at you know the most powerful point since we had hatfield packwood and al allman right uh back then uh many many decades ago um you know i'm using i mean in 06 the last time we did a major surface transportation bill i got a 450 million dollar designation to help the state rebuild our i5 bridges which were simultaneously failing because they've been cast in place they've built them before we did uh, precast bridges uh so you know i brought you know well you know billions into the state uh over the years i, I got the formula changed uh uh, to benefit Oregon in the old days when we just lived off the gas tax, we were a net loser. We sent more money to Washington than we got back. I got that changed. That formula is still in place. 
now the gas tax is inadequate to fund the programs. So, uh, but we're still getting that formula. We're getting more money every year because of that. Um, so I'm using, you know, my committee. I mean, I focus a lot on the coast. Uh, you know, I passed a bill. We, we're, we assess a tax to maintain our harbors since the Reagan era uh, on a tiny tax on the value of imported goods. Uh, but Congress uh, refused to spend a lot of the money for years and, and presidents refused to spend the money. Mm-hmm. So there's $10 billion sitting in the Treasury. And meanwhile, I got harbors that are showing in, jetties that are collapsing. Um, and uh, finally, after uh, 20 years of effort, I got that bill passed and signed into law last year to access that $10 billion that's sitting there. So that's a tremendous uh, benefit to the coast. I spent a lot of time on the Coast Guard issues, important again to the coast. I, I would, you know, I had to pass legislation to keep uh, the helicopter in Newport. Uh, they just wanted to move everything down to North Bend, which would have meant very long rescue times on the North Coast. Uh, so, um, you know, I have used my position on that committee, uh, you know, to benefit the state in many, many ways, um, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, Senator Wyden uh, chairing uh, finance, uh, you know, uh, he's proposing progressive tax ideas that would benefit uh, Oregonians. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Jeff Merkley, of course, is the champion of uh, the uh, the HR one. Well, I don't know what it is in the Senate. It's HR one here. A bill to totally, um, you know, reform uh, our election process, do away with gerrymandering, do away with dark money, uh, you know, uh, and I mean, just a whole host of reforms, uh, you know, to uh, and to deal with what's going on in all these red states where they're essentially setting up a system where they can steal future elections. Well, is there anything else uh, that I should have asked you that you would want to hit on? I appreciate you taking so much time. We're uh, running out of time here. Yeah, no, I think we uh, think we covered a lot of ground. All right. Well, thank you so much, Peter. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to my DeFazio profile from 2019. The presidents are different, but a lot of the political tension and storylines remain the same. You'll find that link in the episode notes. If you like this show, leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the program. And if you value our journalism, the best way to show it is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.